0: You're listening to The Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome, everyone, to The Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joya. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited that you carved out 25, 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. Today, I'm going to get a little bit teachy and a little less preachy. Um, But how many of you know, I heard somebody say one time, Good teaching preaches and good preaching teaches. I think I said that correctly, but you understand it's not that one is above the other. We need both and both undergird one another. So I'm going to start by sharing something that I have seen in my experience of walking with the Lord um, for over 20 years and being raised in the church, but 20 years really submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus and being like heavily involved in the church. I've seen people place a heavy emphasis on character, right? So we need to have it, which is good, um, and ignore the supernatural. So having a form of godliness, but denying the power therein. So we don't talk about the power that's been given to us through God's grace. We don't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the gifts that God has equipped us with. We just talk and focus on the character, and then I've actually seen the opposite on the other side of the spectrum, where all we do is emphasize the gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there's no character to steward that power. And both, I believe, are off killed And with most topics, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And so that's what I want to teach on today. That's what I want to talk to you about Here's the truth, we need both. Um, I remember uh, my mentor in the faith, he gave me these words and they always stuck with me, his prayer, he, he told me that he would pray this, that God never let the power that runs through me uh, grow faster uh, than the character in which to be able to steward it. And so there's nothing new under the sun. This is something that they had to deal with in the early church. And for an example, Paul was discipling Timothy. And you can see in Paul's letters to Timothy this common theme of addressing both of these topics. Again, the power of God and the and the character in which to steward it. Which by the way, both glorify God, but if you're honest, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in some churches where all they talk about is this, and everybody's running around in circles and his gold dust and his feathers and people rolling around on the ground, and I know that there are manifestations that I don't quite understand that happen when the power of the Holy Spirit drops, so I'm not trying to belittle or make fun of that, but there's a huge lack in some of those spaces and places of character, to steward it. And then on the other side, it's leadership principles, it's character, and there's almost like it's so tight, there's no talk or room for the Holy Spirit in which to move. Both are extremes. Both are bad. Even look at our political system, alt-left, alt-right, both bad, right? So in Paul's letter in in Philippians, he says this, Philippians 2.20, I have no one quite like Timothy. He is loyal and genuinely concerned for you. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. But you know yourselves that Timothy is the real thing. So here is Paul bragging and commending Timothy's character. He's saying like, this is a man of God. Okay. But he's about to address something that he's actually has been neglecting and where he's a little bit deficient. So he's praising his character, and now he's about to admonish him. He's about to bring some, some correction in an area that he's been kind of a little distant on. Okay? So, and here it is in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 6: when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. I have to remind you to stir up the gift which is in you. So one side, Paul's saying, man, Timothy has amazing, impeccable character. He cares for you. He loves you. It's sincere and it's genuine. But on the other side, he's saying, Timothy, there's a gift on the inside of you. You're doing things in your own strength. And I want to highlight that. He says, notice the word, I have to remind you meaning that he's already talked to Timothy about this before, right? And so Timothy is hesitant, all right? He's, he's a bit resistant to this idea of the power of God moving through him. So maybe he came out of this camp and he focused heavily on this. And here's Paul saying, "You, God's given you a gift. You need this gift and you need to stir it. And I'm reminding you through this letter again that you have to do, that you've neglected this. Again, where do you get that word neglect? Because he didn't say that in First Timothy 1, 5 through 6. In First Timothy 4, 14, just a verse earlier, he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. So he says, do not neglect the gift, stir up the gift. I shouldn't have to remind you about this. So what does it mean to neglect something? Because this is important, because every single one of us have been given a gift. You have a gift. You may not be aware of that gift. You may have never operated in that gift, but you indeed have a gift. And you may be in the camp where you're neglecting it. And your Paul, your spiritual mentor, may be saying to you, hey, you got to stir this thing up. Neglect means to disregard, to discount, to ignore completely, to underestimate, to overlook or undervalue. And so I think if we look across the church spectrum, we can see that the gifts of God in certain areas have been neglected, have certainly been ignored, have been underestimated. Yeah, we believe in that, but we don't really talk about that. We don't really walk in that. That's not something. Or have been overlooked completely. Rhetorical question. How many of us have neglected the gifts that God has equipped us with? Sure, maybe there was a time that you were banging on all four cylinders and you were operating in that gift, and maybe now it's been put on a shelf and it's collecting dust. Or maybe, as I said earlier, some of you have yet to excavate and to dig up and to stir up that gift. This is why Paul tells Timothy in in chapter 1, verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. We're going to talk about that, the laying on of hands. You see this principle all throughout the New Testament church. And I think, again, some churches we see the laying on of hands, and that's a healthy thing, and that's a thing we should be operating in. But other churches, probably the leadership, character-driven churches, we don't really see that. Okay, Romans 1, 11 through 12 says this, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here's Paul writing a letter to the Romans, okay, saying that I wish I, w- I long to be there, I wish I was there so that I could impart a spiritual gift to strengthen you. What does that word impart, okay? I told you I was gonna be teaching today. We're gonna get all up in it, okay? Impart comes from the Greek word uh, metodomia. I'm probably butchering that. It means to give, to share, impart, distribute, or grant. So we can see all throughout the New Testament, but the laying on of hands imparts, it gives, it shares, it imparts, distributes, and grants spiritual gifts and awakens things that God has already put in. Inside of us. And many on the leadership camp that are heavy on principles and these seven core pillars, okay, shy away from these things. And Timothy was one of those believers that kind of shied away from this stuff. But here's Paul saying, hey, he's saying these things are all good. There's no one like Timothy. But Timothy, you've got to stir these things up. There is a gift that's been imparted to you by the laying out of hands. And you need to cultivate this gift. You know, I know in just in the Pines Church, uh, we have some language that we've uh, put into our culture where we don't believe in membership. I believe membership becoming a member of a church, and I'm not here to knock or attack any churches, I'm just here to talk to you about what God has put in our heart for a vision for the Pines Church, is it's almost copying like policies and procedures from the world. And I don't see, you could argue, I don't see membership in the New Testament. Now you could, you could debate that and argue that and say, well there is this, um, this buy-in and you could call that membership. But what I see is covenant relationship. I see covenant relationship all throughout scripture and I see the laying out of hands. So what I ask people when they come to the Pines Church and they go through our growth track and they hear about the vision from a 30,000 foot view and they look at the structure and the government and how everything's set up, I say, this is the most important question that I can ask you. Has the Lord asked you to plant here? Because if I try to win you here, then I have to keep you and I cannot do that because sooner or later, I'm gonna make you upset. And if I make you upset and I'm the one that convinced you to come here, you're gonna leave. Okay, but if God is the one that asks you to stay here, then you're, you have to stay, even if you're upset with me or if you're upset with somebody else. And most, more often than not, those times when you're upset, God's doing something in you. It's irritating something in your spirit that maybe is off or maybe you need to learn. And so what I say is, if you believe that God has asked you to plant here, then I'm going to lay my hands on you, okay? And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit into this union, and to, op- to share to both you and me when it's time for you to transition and to step into something else. And rather than ghosting us as a church, which most people end up doing, all of a sudden it'll feel called here, so I'm going to go somewhere else. No conversations with leadership. No conversations with any of the members. They just poof, disappear. It's like a magic trick. Instead of doing that, you can share what God is putting in your heart. We feel called to the mission field. We actually feel called to go to another church. And if there's nothing weird there, like they're trying to avoid accountability, um, then we can bring you up, lay hands on you, and send you out with the favor of this house. All through the New Testament. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out. All through the New Testament. Yet, if we're honest, especially in the leadership-driven side of churches, we don't really see that. And because we don't really see that and we don't really have a thing for that, you have people ghosting and just leaving and coming and go as they please. And then you have them signing a document, membership, to try to almost like... Yeah, you're a member here, you signed a piece of paper, it's a document, right? And so again, I'm not trying to attack that, I just think the New Testament has laid out covenant relationship for us. I wasn't even planning on sharing on that, but I, obviously somebody needed to hear that, okay? So both the laying on of hands and the discovery of gifts is what I, I wanna talk about. First Peter 4.10 says this, as each one has received a gift, each one, someone, most, No, each one, every single one of you has a gift, a gift, charisma, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, the body of Christ needs your gift. The Bible says God sets the members in the body as he pleases. So when he sends you to a church, to a body of believers, there is a gift that you have for that church to be able to flourish, Now that church may still be gaining ground if you've been sitting on your gift, if you've neglected your gift, but it would just be like me being a human being, I can still go through some of the motions, but I don't have my pinky. I'm not fully capable. Now can you imagine, you're like, well, you can still move without a pinky. True, maybe, but what if I didn't have all three of these fingers? And what if this ear didn't work? And what if I didn't, my foot didn't work at all? Then what about my internal organs? Do you see there are so many gifts in the body of Christ and if they are lying dormant, the body isn't functioning the way that it was designed to function. This isn't a pyramid scheme where the pastor and 12 other people do all the work. No, 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 We need everybody functioning in the grace that God has anointed them with. We need them to stir and to activate the gift. And this is why Paul is really harping on this with Timothy because he's saying, Look, you're focusing on these things, these are great, but if you don't cultivate the gift, then how are the people that are entrusted to you, the people that you're shepherding their hearts, how are they going to cultivate their gifts so that you can truly gain ground? So 2 Timothy 1.6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. So just another reminder, we have a gift and it is in you. Because some of you may say, well, I have a gift, but you know, I don't know, no, it's inside. It is inside of you. So let's look at that word, stir up. It means to kindle afresh or keep in full flame. You know, if you study the book of Leviticus, there was a fire in the temple and the fire would represent, um, you know, the zeal and the passion for God and, and the worship to God and they would constantly have to stoke it. And so the, the priests were responsible for keeping the fire burning, which is something that a good friend of mine used to say all the time, and I've adopted as my own, Whenever I run into people, I just say, keep the fire burning because I know how easy it is to let our zeal and our passion wane for God because you have to stoke the fire. You can't rely on, well, I threw like seven logs on when I was in Bible college and that will take me through the duration of my life. No, if you've ever made a fire, you're constantly stoking it. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. You have to stoke this fire. You have to kindle it afresh and fan into flame this gift that God has given you because it can go dead. It can get down to the embers right? And so you have to fan this into flame. This isn't a a month thing or, you know, I did an internship thing. This is a daily practice. I don't care if you're a pastor, if you've been walking with the Lord for 60 years, and when you're 67, when you're 75, when you're 82, you have to fan this into flame. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 again, therefore I remind you stir up the gift of God which is in you. We just read that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So in other words, I want, I want to break this down for you. We're going to get a little teach you. Okay. He's given you a gift. You have to fan it into flame. He's given you power to operate in it. He's given you the mind to discern it okay? And he's given you the love in which to administer. Because how many of you know there are people with gifts that just beat people up, right? So you have to operate in your gift in love, in humility, recognizing that it's not you, that it was given to you. It was a gift. It's not because you're all rad and and you worked on yourself. And yes, you have to cultivate. You have to multiply. You have to fan into flame. But it was given to you by God. But the thing that will, will put out the fire, the zeal, and the passion of your gift quicker than anything else is fear. And God is making the distinction through Paul that he has not given us a spirit of fear. So when you are intimidated, when you are anxious about stepping into that, you know that those, those feelings and those thoughts, they do not come from God. So let's define fear. Fear is the unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat? That was taken out of Webster's, but I want to I read this to you. An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. It doesn't say that in reality something or someone is dangerous. It is just the belief. I'm going to make a statement. Fear is not real. It's not. It's your imagination going to places that have not happened yet. It's worst case scenarios in your mind, entertaining them and then bringing them to a place where they're almost become reality. Danger is real. There are real dangers in the world, but fear is not real. Fear is cultivated in the mind. And again, it's a belief. It's not an actual threat. The objective of fear is to restrain you from action and coerce or force you into submission. Into submission, and fear is a horrible taskmaster. Meaning, if you are serving fear, if fear is the idol in your life, then it's going to make a mess of your life. It's going to make a mess of your relationship. It's going to make a mess of your finances. It's going to make a mess of... Uh, your ministry and your gifts, because we are meant to give, right? And fear has the opposite. It, it fear focuses on self, self preservation, and God has called us to to die to self and to esteem others higher than ourselves. So there couldn't be two different ways of living your life that are more contradictory. So if we are going to be followers of Christ. We are to die to self and esteem others higher than ourselves. And if we serve fear as our master, we are going to focus in on self and preserving self. Romans 11:29. For the and, and I just want to say this, for the gifts of God, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For he does not withdraw what he has given nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call." So you have your gifts. You're not gonna lose your gifts. Your gifts aren't gonna go away. You're not gonna say, you know what? I was operating in my gift and then I lost it and now I can never get it back. No, your gifts, the gifts of God come without repentance. They are always there, but they can grow dormant and get down to the level of just embers, which is why Paul is saying, I'm reminding you, fan into flame, fan into flame, Every day, not just 2020, 2021. Every single day you need to do this, Timothy. See, fear causes believers to relinquish their authority in the spirit. And by default, consequently, their gift and God's ability in them lies asleep and inactive. Many of us in the body of Christ have been given gifts. Romans tells us that. But they have remained dormant and they are asleep because we have not awoken them. We have not fanned them into flame. This is why the most repeated commandment in all of scripture is do not be afraid or do not fear. 365 times, 365 days in a year. How many days do you have to stoke your fire? Every single day. How many days do you need to overcome fear? Every single day. So there's a correlation here that we're seeing. Fear is like water on our fire, and God is constantly reminding us, do not be afraid, but fan into flame. One such example um, is, okay, so uh, so in, in speaking of fear, okay, and the dangers of fear, I, I want to talk about, there's two different kinds of fears. There's There's unhealthy fear and healthy fear. So we're going to talk about the unhealthy fear. And God is constantly reminding us through Scripture not to be afraid, not to be scared. And here's one Scripture to support that, Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious Right hand. There's so much in that scripture, but I just want to highlight five things that jumped out to me as I was reading it. Number one, I am with you. So when you feel isolated, when you feel alone, when you feel like misunderstood, when you feel like there's nobody that you can lean on or or cry out to, you remind yourself in this scripture, God says, I am with you. And the Bible says that he will never leave nor forsake you. So he's not going anywhere. He's always going to be with you. Number two, I am your God. He's saying, I'm your God. Before you're even saying, you know, he's my God. He's saying, that one's mine. I'm with him. I'm never going to leave him nor forsake him. Number three, I will strengthen you. I feel weak. I have no energy. I feel purposeless. I don't know what to do. God's saying, I got you. I will strengthen you. Number four, surely I will help you. I'm going to strengthen you, and I'm going to help you. I know that there are doors that are closed. I'm going to open them in the right time. I'm going to move barriers. I'm going to move obstacles at the right time. I'm here to help you. And number five, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's saying, look, I've got you. Your life is in the palm of my hand, the same hand that measured out every drop of water that is on this planet, the set, the stars, the moon, the sun, and the planets in the universe, that hand you rest in. And just reading the scripture brings peace because you recognize, you're, what you're doing is you're elevating God, you're magnifying God, and you're minimizing your problems or the things that would try to rob you of your peace or that would try to sneak in through fear. See, G.K. Chesterton said it like this We fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures the other. And so, G.K. Chesterton was was focusing on the fear of man, right? But we can easily say the fear of anything. And if we have the fear of the Lord, then we recognize and understand that we truly have nothing to fear. And so I wanna talk to you these last few minutes about the fear of the Lord, okay? Because the fear of the Lord is going to help you cultivate these gifts that God has placed on the inside of you. Number one, or first scripture, Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. So, in the fear of the Lord, we have strong confidence. Again, fear is a reverential awe, It's to be in awe of God, It's to understand who God is. And through that, understanding who God is, reminding yourself that He is with us, that He is our God, that He will strengthen us, that He will help us, that He will surely hold us up by His right hand, that's putting God in the perspective of who He really is in the universe, then we can have strong confidence and our children will have a refuge. Second scripture, Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So I don't know about you, but I've, spe- I've wasted many of my nights um, eating the bread of anxious toil just rolling back and forth, recounting everything that happened in the day and dreading everything that's coming up in the other day. And those that fear the Lord recognize that they rest in the palm of His hand so they have nothing to fear. So their sleep is sweet. Maybe you don't need melatonin or NyQuil or whatever other drug there is out there. In fact, I just read a study. It said one in three Americans are taking some form of prescription medication. And I'm not here to knock all medication, but I'm, I am here to say that that number is widely out of bounds. For we, There's no way that one in every three Americans should be taking prescription medication. And so many of us take prescription medication because we're simply not following the word. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I'm not against prescription medication, but especially when it comes to some of these things. Okay, anxiety and depression and fear and worry. A lot of these things go off is because we're not spending time meditating on the word, spending time in God's presence. Third scripture I want to share: Psalm uh, 112: 1. Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. There's a joy that comes. And walking in the fear of the Lord. Of walking in the place of understanding that who God is and who you are. I want to put a bow on this. And my purpose in sharing this message is that many of you might find yourself in a place like Timothy. You understand it's wise to have humility. You understand it's wise to listen and not just here. You understand the importance of integrity. Those are all super healthy things. And again, as I shared with my mentor, shared with me, I never want the power or the gifting of God to move in my life in such a way that it outgrows my character because I know that it will lead to my demise. It will lead to my fall. So this helps keep this in perspective, right? So I need this. But many of us have left these gifts untapped into. We haven't fanned into flame. And truth be told, we're just running through the motions, reading leadership principles, trying to do our best in our own strength to live a good and godly life, and we fail. And we wonder why, because we have a form of godliness, but deny the power therein. And so we should pursue the gifts, we should fan into flames, we should be moving in the power of God that Christ paid the ultimate price for us to walk in here on this earth. Adam in the garden relinquished authority, and then Jesus came and captured it back and gave it to us. And we need to walk in that authority. And the fear of the Lord is the birthing ground for us to be able to cultivate and excavate that gift that God has placed on the inside of us. And so the fear of the Lord isn't to be scared of God. It's to be scared to be away from God. Okay? So we should be as close to God as we possibly can so that we don't fall prey to these fears, to these anxieties, to depression, to all these thoughts that the enemy try to bombard us on because we're meditating and feeding on the Word of God. The Bible says that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Okay, I want you to think about that, okay? You don't know what your gift is. You can put a bunch of seeds in my hand, and I may not know what those seeds are, right? I have no idea what those seeds are, but you know how I can find out? Plant them. Bible says, plant yourself in the house of the God, that um, house of the Lord, and you will flourish into your destiny, into your calling, you will become aware of your gifts. Just like if I plant a banana seed, I have no idea what it is, I put it in the soil, it breaks and the life comes forth and all of a sudden it produces bananas. Why? Because that's what was inside of it. And many of us haven't discovered what is inside of us because instead of running to God, we've run from God and we haven't spent the time in planting in the church, in the fellowship. The Bible warns us in Hebrews, as the day of the Lord approaches, gather even the more, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. We should be coming more to church laying our lives down again dying to ourselves, esteeming others what happens to that seed it dies the outer shell breaks and that's what causes the life to come forth and then it produces the fruit many of us are still in self-preservation holding on to our lives therefore imp- impeding or yeah, impeding this gift that God has placed on the inside of us, our destiny and our calling from coming forth. And we're stuck in limbo in between these two places. And what Paul is trying to admonish Timothy in is you need to fan this into flame. You need to let go. You need to plant. And as we plant, we will flourish into what God has destined us to become. We need both. We need both. This side can get weird, and this side can get weird. And the truth is in the middle. You need both. we, We can all give tons of examples of people that have gone too far, but that doesn't mean that we go over to the other side and we never talk about the power of God, or we go over to the other side and we never talk about the character and leadership principles of God. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you excavate this gift, fan it into flame, because the body of Christ needs this. Many churches are limping around simply because they have not empowered and people have held back from fully investing in. And I'm here to tell you, lose your life. Plant yourself in the church so that you can grow into your destiny. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I'm believing that you've anointed my words, that they have hit their intended target, that you're already beginning to uh, give them ideas of ways that they can become more involved in their fellowship, Lord, that they can step over the fear of this world and plant in the church. Lord, I just Pray that you would show them how to fan into flame the gifts that you placed in them. God, and we ask that you would, through every word spoken and every action performed, that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.